Oh, good evening. Uh, you know, when you were looking at the catalog and thinking about coming here, it probably seemed like a really good idea. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you know, I won't have to be with my family for the holidays. <laughs> you know, some peaceful environment and nobody's going to bother me and uh, get to meditate all day. Sounds kind of great. But after the first day of a retreat, uh, sometimes it can look a little different. You know, like, what? What was I thinking? You know, the, this isn't exactly what I had in mind. Not going quite the way I planned. Uh, it hurts a little more than I thought it would. So it's... It can be helpful on the first evening of a retreat to have a what are we doing here talk. You know? Because the, the what are we doing here looks a little different from here. Well, let's look a little bit at what we've been doing so far. We've been spending a lot of time with our body and our breathing. Right? Uh, coming back again and again when the mind wanders off. Coming back to something uh, simple, relatively tangible, the breath and the body. Have you been doing this? Sort of. <laughs> That's kind of the, the instruction at this, up to this point. Yeah. Sitting, walking, being in our experience and noticing when the mind is often uh, what I referred to this morning as virtual realities. Yeah. Our ideas about the past, our memories about, of the past, our thoughts and plans and strategizing about the future uh, and our interpretations of the present. We get really caught up in a lot of thinking. So we're practicing coming out of these uh, worlds, thought worlds, and landing here for a moment, connecting with something tangible in the present, breath and body, connecting with the stepping, Tasting. Actually, we're cultivating an incredible spiritual power, although it may not seem that way. Because our, our thinking is what creates our reality in a given moment. Yeah, our thoughts about what's happening, our thoughts about who we are, our interpretations of who the person we're with is or the situation, those are what shape our reality. So to be able to notice when some world is being created and to uh, disengage from it, that is very, very valuable. It's just the first instruction. There are going to be a whole series of unfolding instructions in the course of this retreat. But just this first instruction, it's a big deal. So I'm emphasizing this so that we don't kind of poo-poo this part of it, you know? Because often when people are sort of even not that new to meditation, there can be this subtle or not so subtle idea that you shouldn't be thinking, you know, that 
it would just be better if you weren't. You know, it's trying to not be thinking, but you are, and then it gets this, becomes this big struggle. Uh, so the practice is not just to be with what's happening. It's to practice coming back. Yeah, so the coming back is a huge part of what we're practicing. You do it thousands of times, right? In 10 minutes. <laughs> be honest. Yeah. See, people are laughing, so you know you're not alone. <laughs> so, so that's the practice. That's not the mistake that you made. So it's, it's useful to sort of sense that, know that from the beginning, because otherwise meditation becomes really a drag. You know? uh, drag. Associations going. So it, you've seen, this is an example, you've seen uh, people walking their dog, you know? and sometimes you see... Uh, a really excited dog, and its owner, and it starts rushing around, it's on a leash, rushing around, smelling stuff, and all. And it's, every time it runs off, its owner, who's probably in a grumpy mood for some reason, get back here. You see that? Jerking the dog. And it's kind of painful to watch, you know, if you're in something of a sensitive mood. It's like, Poor dog, you know, it's just being a dog. It's just excited about stuff. You know, so sometimes our practice can feel this way. Get back. <laughs> uh, and then the dog gets depressed. <laughs> Over time. <laughs> so be nice to your dog. You know, because it's, it's excited. You know, and when there's nothing to do, it gets even more excited creating content and stuff. You know, because there's nothing happening. So let's invent things. Anyway, so this coming back, very important. And so to practice, because it's so fundamental in the practice, to practice doing it gently. Yeah? Don't rush. See if you can notice where your mind went. Yeah? Oh, I'm in, here we are sitting here. Oh, I'm in Hawaii. I'm, in Cle- I'm actually at Thanksgiving with my family. <laughs> and it's as difficult as it always is. You know, or whatever. You know, and then so you notice, oh wow, this world is here. And then, oh, I'm meditating, you know, however long, and then you come back. Yeah, come back to the breath. And you notice when you're really with the breath then after that, that world is, is gone. It was so real, and all the feelings that arose in that moment were so real, but it's actually not here. It's a mind world. So in the beginning of a retreat, the emphasis is on uh, steadying the mind, on coming back, on gathering the mind, collecting the mind, unifying the mind. Yeah, our minds are so scattered most of the time, we're just running all over the place. This is the untrained mind. Yeah, and we feel scattered often because our minds are out of control. Yeah, so when we sit down and we actually try to be in one place for some period of time, often the first insight is how out of control the mind is. Just how all over the place and uncontrollable, ungovernable it is. Sometimes this is referred to as attaining the cascading mind. So you probably haven't gotten crazier since you've been here. You're just aware of how busy this is. And attaining the cascading mind, it's just a nice way to say it because it's actually an accomplishment to be able to observe that, to notice that. Most of the time, we don't even notice that part. As we come back again and again, again and again, again and again, over time, without your doing anything special, you begin to dwell here a little more, yeah? a little in a, more, in a little more steady way, yeah? uh, rather than just moments of being here, like oh here I am, and then oh here I am, and 
oh, here I am, and there's not much continuity. Yeah. But over time of coming back again and again, we start to actually uh, reside here. This becomes our base of operations, the present moment. Yeah. And then we may make forays into the mind worlds that, that can be very useful. So we're preparing the ground in a way to look deeply into our own experience, uh, to look deeply into our own heart, our own mind, to in a way see who we really are underneath all of our ideas, concepts about ourselves. And in a way to awaken to uh, the same realization as the Buddha had. Buddha as a human being, just like you, as Anushka was saying, this is to awaken to our own nature. But in order to see anything of what's happening in here, the mind has to be somewhat stable. Yeah? Otherwise, you're in the waterfall trying to watch the waterfall like going over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Probably hard to see anything. Yeah. So this steadying the mind of coming back, even if it seems like, why am I doing this back and back? We're developing a, a continuity, a momentum of presentness. We have a lot of momentum in the other direction, in the direction of planning and of strategizing and of future orientation and of trying to fix uh, things from the past. We have a lot of momentum in those directions. But here we're cultivating a new way, a new momentum, a momentum of, of being here in this, of presentness. And as we get more stable here, we're able to actually, not only to see what's arising in the body, to watch uh, sensations arise and pass in the body, moods and emotions, we become familiar with them. As the instructions progress, we'll be observing, connecting with our own moods and emotions as they arise, manifest, and pass away. Also our thinking, as the mind gets even steadier, we'll be able to... Uh, observe the thinking process itself, yeah, rather than coming out of it, to actually observe the mind worlds being created. But, you know, ordinarily, you know, we may be present for a few moments, but it doesn't take much to kind of knock us out of awareness. You know, all it takes is a little discomfort and we begin thinking, you know, we're a little emotion or mood that we're not that f comfortable with, a little fear, a little sadness, and we start getting spun into stories. You know? Or somebody says something, or somebody you know, puts on their socks the wrong way near you, and you, you know, or somebody breathes too loudly, and you know, is thinking. It doesn't take much to kind of knock us out of our presentness. You know, it's a little bit like uh, the three little pigs, you know, uh, the house of straw, the big bad wolf. It doesn't take a lot of the puffing and puffing to knock over the house of straw. A lot of times our sort of stability of mind is a little like that, the house of straw. And as we develop, cultivate a little more uh, house of Sticks, twigs, sticks, house of sticks, a little more steady, and house of stone. Yeah. It's not a perfect metaphor because stone is not that flexible and responsive. <laughs> the mind is infinitely flexible and responsive. But you get the point. Uh, uh, not so blown over. And then the observing becomes very vivid. Stable. So, 
So we'll be opening up the instructions over the course of the days to include more and more of our experience. But in the beginning, you know, we could just start out saying, just be aware of whatever's happening in the present moment without judging it, without reacting to it, and just practice like that, aware of whatever's arising at the five senses, six senses, including the mind. That would be a perfectly valid instruction, but it'd be very hard to do. So we start out by simplifying, just primarily the breath and the body, sound, and coming back to that as giving us something relatively tangible to connect with again and again. So what is this awareness? What is this uh, mindfulness that we're even cultivating? We talk about steadiness of attention, steadiness of awareness, of presentness. But what is this what is this thing we call mindfulness? You know, it's a sort of a danger whenever anything becomes sort of commonly known of, it starts to get reified a little bit. Mindfulness. Oh yeah. And then you hear people say, use your mindfulness. Like it's one thing. Yeah. But so let's explore this. What is this mindfulness even that we're cultivating? What are its qualities? And so, so in this moment, we're all sitting here and we all have awareness, right? We're all aware. Anybody not aware? If you're not sure, it's valid. If you're not sure if you're aware, try to turn off your awareness. You're having some experience right now. Maybe it's not even of what I'm saying. Maybe it's just of your thinking or of the sound of the crickets. Is that the sound system? Labels, we don't need them. It's just sound. So you're having some experience. So this is awareness. It's, and it's, it's, a, it's an undiscovered treasure. You know, we take it so for granted because we've been aware our whole life in a certain way. We've had this, what do you, I don't know what to call it. We've had this, uh, it's not even a capacity because it's, it's actualized right now. It's happening. Yeah, we've had it our whole life, but we haven't really explored it or noticed it. It's amazingly responsive. You're hearing my voice, yeah? You, you know it's, you're hearing it quite perfectly. Maybe if, if you're hard of hearing, the, the ear organ is, you know, the sound's a little, it's not quite as clear. But that's not because of the awareness, it's just because of the ear. And you know that because the, the visual field is quite vivid. Yeah, if I make, if I go like this, wave my hand, you can see it. If I ring the bell, you hear it. Effortlessly, right? If I say, feel your feet, you feel them. This amazing, responsive knowing, spontaneous knowing. So what are the qualities of this knowing itself? Well, it's, as Andrea was talking about, it's mirror-like. It just reflects what's there. When I, ring this, when I ring the bell, you hear the sound, then you may have thoughts about it. You know, they had a better bell at the last retreat. You know, or he didn't ring that very well. 
you know, I could really ring that bell. <laughs> you know, or I wonder if the vibrational frequency of that bell is, <laughs> is thinking. But the awareness is just registering the experience itself. You can notice this with seeing. You know, just looking. There's this just registering of what's here and then there's an can be an overlay of conceptualizing, yeah, story or interpretation or judgment. But if you play with this, you can actually notice the difference. Yeah, so it's like you can notice just the seeing, and then you can notice the overlays happen. It's fascinating. Yeah? But we we tend not to notice this more primary knowing, this what was before, what is before the overlay. It's here all the time, but it's sort of covered by all the overlay, which is what we're just, we live in. I mean, you may have this experience from time to time. I'm sure you do. When the mind is quiet. Maybe it's in nature. Maybe it's when you're, you know, in a special moment with somebody you love, where the kind of interpretation falls away and there's just a vivid knowing. You know, the, the vividness is there. Just sometimes it takes certain conditions for the mind to quiet down enough for it to get real more obvious. You know, we tend to then attribute that experience to those conditions. Oh, that person, I got to be with them more. You know, or, you know, I have to go camping every weekend. And when I'm not camping, life sucks. Yeah, because I know how it can be. So, but it's a, it's actually a, a bit of a mistake. Yeah, those conditions are beautiful, but they just point us towards something which is actually always here, underneath the overlay. And you know, I. It's always. Uh, Interesting to have this kind of experience with relatives. I'm on a relative theme tonight. Because you ever had this happen where you're sort of you're with some relatives and you sort of turn and you, you sort of see somebody who you've known for your whole life, but in that moment you, you're not in some kind of framework and you see them fresh. And so for a moment it's like, who's that? And then it came in, oh, it's Joey, you know, and then <laughs> I know you. But that's a, it's really a wonderful moment, actually, to be with somebody without the overlay. Yeah. It's, it's also rare. But when it's there, there's a freshness and a, a sort of a vibrancy. So this is mindfulness, it's this knowing this. Yeah. This can know the body, can know feeling, can know moods and emotions, can know even thinking itself. Yeah. So you may be sitting or maybe outside and you're looking at some tree and you're just seeing the tree and then there's this, some thoughts about the tree. Yeah. They don't have those trees where I live. It's a really nice tree, and you know, maybe I, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> so, but you can turn your attention to that thinking, and mindfulness can know that as well. There's a difference between uh, being caught up in the thought about, you know, being in. You know, grade school, you're sitting here meditating and all of a sudden, oh, it's second grade and all those kids that you're with. And is the difference between being in second grade in that moment and being aware of, oh, this is second grade happening. Yeah? That's mindfulness that can know that. Yeah? So it's just an interesting thing because the awareness is here all the time. This awakeness, we can't turn it off but we're n- most of the time not aware of it. So we have this experience of, well, a little bit like uh, dreaming. You know, when you wake up out of a dream, 
you remember, you can sometimes remember, oh, I, you know, and I went around the corner and there was a, you know, a goose with fur. And it was talking to me about, you can remember what was happening in the dream, which suggests that there was awareness present. Yeah, if there was no awareness present, you wouldn't be able to remember it. So this awareness that's here right now, registering all of this, it's on all the time, even when you're sleeping. The dream world is happening, and it's happening, it's being known. But you wake up later and you say, oh, I was dreaming. I wasn't aware then. And in a way, it's true. And you can notice the difference if you ever woken up in a dream. Yeah, you realize, oh, this is a dream. It's a different level of awareness. Yeah, you look around and you say, wow, this is a dream. It looks so real. Yeah, you're awake to the awareness in that moment. You know, and a lot of our life is almost like we're dreaming, like we're sleepwalking, because we're not present in our awareness. We're not awake to our awakeness. Does that make sense? Yeah. And in those peak moments, often, there's some awakeness to our, there's some being awake to our awakeness. We really, wow, I'm really here. You know? So, uh, this kind of, this is also has to do with mindfulness. Yeah? It's like, oh. And just to, you do, Play with it right now. Wow. Look, you know, look around, looking out through your eyes. You're really here, being in your body, looking out. Yeah, just this happening. If you want to, hope this isn't too confusing, you say, is this a dream? Just to kind of wake up, get yourself interested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. We won't take that too far. So this awareness doesn't judge experience. Judging happens, but it's an overlay. Yeah? So we can become aware of the judging too. See? Another thing that... uh, Another quality of mindfulness is that it's always present. This awareness, it, can, it only exists experientially in the present. You can't ever be aware in the past or in the future. Yeah. So You can't ever be living in the past or the future. Yeah. Those are thoughts. Actually, the whole past and future, experientially, are thoughts happening in the present. we can be aware of those thoughts. Actually, we never go anywhere. We're always right here. And the scenery just changes. So, if you're connecting with something that's happening in the present, you know, there's some mindfulness. Mindfulness also, it doesn't, when there's awareness of anything, it doesn't refer back to some uh, think of how to say this. It doesn't refer back to any I, any one. Yeah? So, There's knowing of the breathing. But you may notice this actually at some point. When you're really allowing the breathing, it's actually not so easy to let the breath breathe. Have you noticed this? We're we're really very well-trained as manipulators of our experience. We're tinkerers. And we're good at tinkering. Look at what we've built with our tinkering. Amazing technology. There's nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But we, we're so trained to 
manipulate experience that it's actually very hard to let anything be. Yeah? Just think about your relationships. <laughs> it's very you know, hard to let another person just be who they are, how they are. It's hard. But it's hard even to let your breath be. Yeah? This breath is just happening all the time. When you're doing other stuff, it's breathing really nicely. But actually, you sit down and pay attention, it's going to be hard just to let it breathe. So but when you're present here, breathing a little bit, if you, and you can just relax into it, relax into the breathing, you may notice at some point that there's a sense of just the breath breathing. When you're really present to the breathing, there's no sense of uh, I breathing. I am breathing. That's sort of a thought reference. Experientially, in the moment, just when there's just this vivid awareness, it's just breathing. The implications of this are also, I'm not going to say too much because uh, you'll explore this on your own. It'll sort of reveal itself more. But this is true with all aspects of our own experience. I invite you to check this out. That we actually add that, you know, I am breathing. We also add the, you know, say there's sadness present. I am a sad person. Fear present. I'm very fearful. I always have been. Story. But when there's just vivid awareness, it's just fear. Just sadness. Just joy. So this is something we can also practice with. It's like, oh. Sometimes say, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. Meaning, happy, sad. When there's just this vivid awareness, it's, it's all Buddha. It's all just nature, the way things are. Yeah. What other qualities of mindfulness. No thoughts are coming to me in this moment. (laughs) I'm just touching into that, just the knowing that's here. So even without doing any special meditative posture or anything, there's knowing. Seeing, hearing, body, breathing. It's amazing, you know, it was talked about in the instructions earlier. It's amazing how complicated sometimes meditating can feel. It can get very complicated, but as some people were saying this morning, practice is radically simple. Uh, It's just to be here for a moment with what's actually happening. 
And in these first days, the emphasis on which aspect of that experience is breath and body. And practicing, in a way, letting go of agenda, letting go of manipulating, letting go of controlling, letting go of fixing, letting go of strategizing, letting go of all these things that we cultivate so deeply and practicing letting be. Practicing just being aware of what's already happening. It's a, it's, it's, um, a pretty light job description in a certain way. You don't have to make anything. But it's also something that's it's very unfamiliar to us. And you may notice as you're practicing that when there's just a moment of letting go of all of these things, strategizing, trying to become something, trying to achieve something, when we're letting go of that in a moment, just of being with the breathing, there's some kind of peace present. Have you noticed that? Even just for a moment? You're struggling to be with the breathing and at a certain point you give up because you just tied yourself in such a knot. You give up and then Oh, there's the breath just happening. Yeah, there's kind of a peace inherent in that, that shift in relationship to what is. Yeah, I have a, a young baby at home, uh, infant, uh, just over two months. It's really interesting to notice how easy it is to get into strategizing around like getting him to sleep. You know, let's think about the way I did it last time. And, you know, it's like, oh, if I just bounce him this way and then then I'll walk back and forth and then, you know, swaddle him just so. And then, you know, and it's just very interesting to watch. It's very analogous to meditating, actually. You know, if I'm in a space where I'm really dependent on the outcome, there's a tension in the whole process, you know, and then, and then inevitably, you know, like after the whole half-hour ritual, <laughs> and he's like wide awake. So it's just it's it's a great. I mean, this daily life has this Dharma lessons running through it all the time. Yeah, so it's just so quickly becomes obvious. It's just a realm of suffering. I am not in control of when this little beautiful being is going to sleep or not. But I still do what I can to help him get to sleep. But it's a shift in relationship. So I can do all of those things from a very different place. A place of just doing it for the sake of doing it in that moment and being there for it. Actually, the quality is totally different. I actually enjoy it. It can be present for the bouncing. Yeah, it's very sweet. It doesn't depend on anything. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there is a kind of, um, you know, and I posit this, but you can check it out. Uh, I think an inherent happiness in being. When we're letting go of wanting or craving or trying to become or get something, and we're just being with what's happening. There's kind of an inherent fulfillment. But one of the things that makes it challenging to be present, I don't know why we weren't just present from the beginning. Sometimes people ask that. If it's so much better to be present, why aren't we just present? You know, I can never answer that question. But one of the reasons that 
I think we're not present a lot of the time. It's not just because we're caught up in things that are interesting to our minds, but also because it's actually kind of difficult to be here. Yeah, This realm, it's not all pleasant. In fact, there's a lot of difficult stuff that happens. And you notice it's just from sitting for, you just sit for an hour and there's pain. So, uh, you know, who wants to be with that? So now I'm supposed to tell you why you should want to be with that. I better think of something quickly. You know, the Buddha taught that um, we all, all human beings, experience what he called the eight, the eight worldly winds. Yeah. Uh, pleasure and pain, gain and loss, uh, praise and blame, uh, pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame. Isn't that the same as praise and blame? Fame and disrepute? No? Okay. Fame and disrepute, ill repute. Uh, so, this is an important teaching because we all get all of these. Yeah? Nobody's exempt. You don't just get pleasure and no pain. It doesn't work that way. It's, this is connected to the first noble truth. Yeah. It's the truth of the way things are. Sometimes we actually convince ourselves that even just subconsciously, that that's possible. So we do a lot of running around to try to make it that way. Then we're disappointed. It's impossible. You don't just get pleasure and no pain. You just don't get praise and no blame. Even if you teach the Dharma. Actually, especially if you teach the Dharma. (laughs) You know, you think, oh yeah. No, everybody. Just watch the news. Yeah. So, um, gain and loss, outside of our control, we all experience gain and loss. So, the Buddha's, part of the Buddha's inquiry is, well, how do we be with this? How do we live in this realm? Is it possible to live in this realm uh, and be at peace with it? Yeah. To not be blown around, like in that Three Little Pigs example. Yeah. Is it possible to live here and be at peace with these ups and downs, yeah. these worldly winds? And in a way, that's what we're cultivating when you're sitting here and you're you know, thinking, why am I sitting here when my knee's about to fall off? Yeah. Uh, you're actually learning how to be with discomfort. And you may notice, you know, you're, you're sitting there, your knee's hurting, and you're, strateg- you know, you're just like wondering how much longer. It can't possibly be any longer. You know, I, sw- I swear they, they fell asleep up there and they're not, you know. But, you know, you could be bracing against the pain and it becomes excruciating. Yeah? And then you may practice a little bit with kind of breathing into it, relaxing around it. Yeah. Letting go of the struggle with the pain, with the sensation. You may notice that the amount of suffering decreases greatly. The amount of mental suffering, the amount of anguish you experience with that pain greatly decreases, maybe even disappears. Not the pain. So this is a very valuable training. Yeah, although it may seem like, why? So we are not practiced at being with discomfort. It's like if you can just watch yourself during the day, how you actually respond to discomfort, it's amazing all the tiny, it doesn't even have to be much discomfort, tiny little adjustments. Just go to the fridge, 
turn on the radio, the computer, yeah, phone. It, it's, it's really interesting to observe that, you know, just search out some interaction. We really are scared of discomfort. So as we cultivate a steadiness of attention, a steadiness uh, in being present, yeah, uh, not so scattered, the mindfulness becomes quite vivid. We can actually learn how to be comfortable with discomfort, which is another one of the qualities of mindfulness. It transcends opposites. Now that is interesting. Transcends opposites. Comfortable with discomfort. So that's very valuable. Think about the people that you trust. What makes somebody trustworthy? Well, one thing is when they can be with discomfort. They can be with your discomfort. Yeah. I mean, when you go to somebody and you're, you're in need, usually it's a little uncomfortable. They have to feel your discomfort. So it makes you trustworthy. Yeah. You don't react, run away, uh, or retaliate. A lot of times we retaliate out of discomfort. Yeah, We're sort of either blown, away, blown around or we just become very reactive, habitually reactive. So we're developing an incredible power, actually. Oh. Steadiness in the face of the, the worldly winds. Similarly, as we will explore over the course of the days, with moods and emotions. Uh, we're not practiced at being with most of our moods and emotions. And being comfortable with them. So in transcending the opposites, uh, we can be very vividly present with fear and not be afraid. Mindfulness is not afraid of fear. doesn't mean the fear is not present. This is usually where we get into struggle. I shouldn't be afraid. I'm supposed to do this thing. I need to be confident. You know, we get our whole culture, which is based on kind of this pump yourself up kind of thing. It's very unstable. Doesn't it feel unstable? You know? And all these seminars about, you know, positive thinking and, you know, you just go in there and be confident. You got your smile on and, you know, it feels unstable when you, you know, it's like, oh, I immediately distrust that (laughs) in people, (laughs) you know. Because this is different. Yeah, it's like, uh, when you can be really comfortable with anxiety or fear, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pump anything up. You can just be here. Yeah. You can be here with your own discomfort. You can be with others. It's a huge gift to others and to the world. When you can be with your own thinking without believing it, when you can observe mind worlds being created, judgments forming, yeah, flash judgments, reactive judgments, habitual judgments, when you can observe that process happen and not be just imprisoned by it, uh, driven by it, or ruled by it. It's an incredible freedom. It doesn't mean the judgments stop churning out. They're conditioned. If you get interested in watching them, they really can be funny. You just sit there and watch yourself judge sometimes. It's amazing. You don't know. I mean, it's classic on retreats. People develop you know, romances with people they don't know. They get very developed, you know, in the mind. Kids, and, you know, based on very little, you know. Uh, And similarly, uh, you know, people can develop incredible animosity towards people on retreat for, you know, how they open the door or how they breathe or where they put their cushion, you know. Uh, these mind worlds that we really get into and we really believe when we're in them. Uh, 
And it's actually always, sometimes it's easier to see this when other people do it to you, because then you can really feel the disconnect. Um, remember I was with my wife and we were coming out of uh, the parking lot at Target. This is not an advertisement for Target. <laughs> we are coming out of the parking lot and somebody was driving, they have all these stop signs, somebody was driving this way, and the person behind me honked. And the person who was driving across turned and like gave me the finger and just started <laughs> yelling. And it was just this huge thing directed at me because I honked, but I didn't. You know, it was just a great example of like, wow, that's your mind, you know. Uh, so it's very valuable to have this steadiness of awareness that's not caught in the mind worlds, but can see them. These habituated judgments, prejudices, yeah, uh, interpretations, and not just about others. A lot of the deep suffering comes from the ones that are about ourself. Yeah. Uh, and we torture ourselves out of these beliefs that have developed over time, and sometimes, you know, they have a certain um, logic to them, coherence. You know, they're beliefs often formed at very young ages, trying to make sense of the world that we were in from like a four-year-old's point of view, you know? So it's not true, but it's sort of an understandable attempt. You know, some of these deep, really intense. Yeah? So to be able to actually see this, this is how our reality is created. So uh, mindfulness can observe all of this without being... Uh, caught in it. When we live in this kind of awareness, there's a lot of choice. There's a lot more choice. When we're present to our feelings in the moment, we can actually make decisions based on them. You know, often it's just a jumble of uh, what is intuition, what is craving, you know, what is, how do I know what I should, you know, I, I have a checklist of a thousand things, how do I know what I want? When we're really present and we can be present to our feeling and we can know the difference between our habitual thing and this deeper knowing. Yeah? Oh, time to go right. Yeah? It's actually a great protection. Yeah? And as we develop all kinds of protections, defend, you know, ways of defending ourselves, protecting ourselves, which are valid in our lives. Posturing. I did a lot of work in prisons. A lot of posturing. A lot of, you know, fronting. A lot of presentation. You know? It's for a reason. Yeah? It's protective. But you can get really locked in to that. And we think of, you think of your own version. You can get really locked into that presentation. And then it becomes a prison as we cultivate this mindfulness and it gets stronger, we have a kind of potential for responsiveness and action in the moment, clarity in action, which keeps us safer in a way than those habitual protections. So they can start to relax. Yeah. It's not like you should take away those things. You just, when the mindfulness is strong and our presence is strong, they are, those other defenses, they kind of intuitively know we can chill out a little bit. A lot of freedom uh, uh, available. When we take this practice uh, even further, and there's this uh, a real dwelling in love of resting in this uh, vivid awareness, this present awareness, uh, we see that actually it's the nature of the mind itself. The very nature of the mind itself is this vivid presence. Yeah? And it connects this little more effortful mindfulness that we're bringing to the breathing, the beginning. You know, it's that same awareness that we're bringing to the breathing, which is actually the manifestation of, the, uh, of, of realization. That's what well, one uh, uh, friend uh, 
teacher called uh, the immediate and the ultimate. But this uh, mindfulness, uh, we calling mindfulness, this vivid awareness, uh, reveals itself more and more. The deeper we familiarize ourselves with it, the more uh, we live in it, from it, as it. Uh, continually revealing itself. So it's a, actually a great mystery. So let's not even, let's not box it in. So your job is simple, sitting and walking, breathing in, breathing out. At this point in the retreat, whenever you notice that you're off in some mind world, pause for a moment, notice the world you're in. You can bow to it and gently come back to the breathing. Later we'll give more detailed instructions on how to be with it. For now, just coming back to the breathing, coming back to the body. Again and again, again and again. Not just in the formal sitting and walking, but also as you get up and leave the hall, as you go to bed, you know, getting ready for bed, you can be present to that experience. You know, be there for it. This is your life. It's a beautiful Taoist phrase. I really love it. They talk about being, cultivating this kind of presence as giving life to life. It's a, it's a beautiful way to describe it. Because when we're not really connected with the present, it feels like, and the Buddha said this in the Dhammapada, life doesn't feel that alive. And the Dhammapada said, it's like being dead already. Yeah, so to feel the life that's here, yeah, brushing your teeth, laying down in bed, and even as you lay in bed, you can practice some of the lying meditation, be with your breathing. Yeah. See if you fall asleep on an in-breath or an out-breath. See if you wake up on an in-breath or an out-breath. And practice in this way continually, going up, going to breakfast, cultivating this vivid awareness, this steady mindfulness. This becomes, uh, and a retreat is a wonderful opportunity for this because there's not much else to do. So you might as well. So let's sit for a moment. There's a traditional uh, Tibetan saying that you can either try to pave the world in leather or you can make yourself shoes. Mindfulness are our shoes, shoes of wakefulness. We have these shoes, we can walk anywhere. May we continue to look deeply into our own experience. May we cultivate a steadiness of presence, of mind and heart. May this steadiness, presence of awareness lead to clear seeing for the sake of all beings.
Thank you for listening. Uh, It's time for a walking period. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.